Hey, D, it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Are your Christmas decorations up yet? You know, I'm taking it slow because it's not really Christmas for Christmas season for Catholics. It's Advent. And I like, I mean, I thought our fall was so beautiful that I kind of wanted it to continue on, but I did get out a gold. I bought a gold polka dot tablecloth. It's white with gold. That'll go all the way through January, right? Oh, yeah. It's Advent, Christmas, New Year. Perfect. <laughs> and I bought two wreaths for my outside doors. How about you? Well, I've got my outdoor lights up and they're so pretty at night. Ca- catching up with my neighbors who've had lights on for a couple of weeks. So, Right. My neighbors have put theirs up two weeks ago. I'm like, okay. I, I hung some special Christmas kitchen towels on my stove. You did? Tell me about those. Well, I put them on Instagram. Anyway, but my favorite thing, of course, is my Christmas paper towels. Yeah. Tell me about them. White in a snowstorm. So they're solid white, girl. <laughs> That's the... <laughs> you, you better get us started, D. <laughs> Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden one and a half acres out of seven and a half acres out in the country. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. I have a suburban garden measured in square feet, about a third of an acre. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening, and we would like you to love it too. We are working on that so hard. <laughs> Yes, yes, we are. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Dee. Hey, Carol. Got anything going on in the garden the week after Thanksgiving? Well, when you kind of stick Thanksgiving in there, even though I wasn't hosting, it kind of throws the whole week off. But like I said, the outdoor lights are up. I relocated just a few leaves. I trimmed some suckers off my star magnolia before I put lights on it. But Mm -hmm. other than that, I didn't really get much done in the garden. I, you know, just we're having this transition. I mean, today is 40 and rainy. It is definitely more wintry today than even yesterday. It was. Okay. So let's just talk about that for a second. I mean, it has been the nicest, nicest fall of all time, right? Even where you live. Oh, yeah. We had great days. And then yesterday, yesterday, we had cold rain, we had ice, we had freezing rain, sleet, and a touch of snow all in one day. So we did not have that. (laughs) Yesterday was (laughs) high around 40 and very sunny, perfect day to finalize all the lights outside. Today, I mean, it's, it's cold and miserable. I don't think we've had snow or sleet, but we've had some rain, but... Ours, ours all happened within a few hours. I mean, it's just so typical of those storms that come up out of the north that came blowing out of Kansas and Colorado. Thank you, Kansas and Colorado. Not that it's your fault. Would you like to hear what's going on in my garden? Absolutely. I saw your one Instagram thing, so I know a little bit about what you've been up to. I've been busy. So Bill, Bill, the the day before Thanksgiving, he finally got all the parts in for the leafer, leaf shredder. That burned in the fire, so everything melted, and we kept having to replace stuff. And so he vacuumed and shredded the leaves off of the shade lawnette in the front. And then you have to get those leaves off of that shade grass, that little dab of fescue I have, or it smothers it. Exactly. Right? 
And my fescue is not, it's not like a perfect fescue lawn because I don't use weed and feed. So I have all kinds of weeds in my fescue lawn, but I'd like to have some grass in it too. So he moved those over into piles and I will use them all over the place. And then, so he did that. And then I, we've got a little bit more to do. And then of course I, I talked about the freezing rain last night and now Masha is walking across the top of the computer. So I can't even see our notes, but that's fine. And then I, I got some paper whites and amaryllises that I bought from Brent and Becky's bulbs when I wrote an article on Christmas plants other than poinsettias. And I wrote that for Oklahoma Living. That was my last article for them. And so you know what happens when you write one of those articles, you go out and order more stuff. Yeah. Well, doesn't have, come on. It happens to you too. I am nothing but a model of restraint. Uh-huh. How many amaryllis do you have? So anyway, that kind of goes right into playing favorites, doesn't it? Yeah, it kind of does because my indoor bulbs are my favorites and I did two little videos about my paper whites and I'm going to do more about the amaryllis, which are really hippie astrum, but you never answered my question. I only have do about have any? Four, four or five amaryllis. Oh, only four or five. Yeah, me too. But they, I, I mean, I just eight. grow them as houseplants and, you know, they might not flower until February. Right. And so you put yours in the closet and then bring them back out. No, no, no. That's no. way too much work. No, you don't no, do that. No, no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I have in the past, but I just don't like to mess with it. So I throw mine away when I'm done. And then let's see, I've got four pots of non-stinky paper whites. And if people want to know more about those, they can either go to my blog or they can go to that Instagram post that I did. Because there are certain ones other than Ziva that aren't as strongly scented. Exactly. And I grow those because I can't stand Ziva. And then I said, I was trying to decide if I want a poinsettia and I haven't decided. You know, you just go to the store and if a poinsettia speaks to you, buy it. That's what I do. They they have really pretty ones from Sam's. You guys don't have Sam's, do you? You just have Costco. No, we have Sam's and Costco. Okay. Well, Sam's is where I bought my two wreaths, right? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, because they have the best price and they're inexpensive. I mean, you can go local, so don't anybody get on to me. If, if you want to go buy at Bricks, that's fine too. I just don't live near Bricks. So I ran and got those and they had a bunch of really nice poinsettias there. And then also one of our local nurseries, TLC Garden, they they are known for their poinsettias. So I don't know. I mean, I might buy a cyclamen, maybe. I have one. I've got a great idea for you, D. What? Buy both. I knew it. Okay. What about you and your garden? So my Thanksgiving cactuses are blooming and they look lovely. And so that's my favorite thing. And I wrote a blog post about them and the difference between them and Christmas cactus. Yes. And lamenting that I don't really have a true Christmas cactus. Right. Because they're really hard to find. You and I've talked about this before. So guess what though? Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? I can see it in the notes. So now I know, and I'm really excited for you. So you're going to send me a Lisa, who listens to us from Bennett's Greenhouse in Lafayette, while she's working, she grows annuals. She writes me and she says, we've got a mother plant of a true Christmas cactus. Would you like a couple of starts? Yeah, I would love a couple of starts. So She's going to send me some and I'm going to root them. And she's also checking, but they grow the fall pansies that I was talking several weeks ago. They're really hard to grow in the heat. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. actually think quartz where I buy my stuff, I think they get them from Bennett's. We shall see. They might. She's going to check. 
Oh, that's cool. So if you ever get a Christmas cactus going, you know you have this friend in Oklahoma. Oh, that's right. I do. Of course, I will send you a start if I get mine going. Because I have one, two, three, four. I have four Thanksgiving cactuses. That's plenty. So we might as well say really quickly, what's the difference quickly? I know it's in your blog post. So the difference really quickly is that, well, they're two different species or hybrids of two different species. And so the Thanksgiving cactus blooms earlier. It's got little points on all the leaves and the leaves are called, oh, I looked it up. Oh, the there's, they aren't true leaves. They're called something else. Yeah, anyway, it's in my blog post. I'll link to Little it. stems. The little stems have points. And then on the Christmas cactus, they're more rounded. So you don't have those little points. And it blooms slightly later than the Thanksgiving. Slightly later. Yes. And the Christmas cactus, for whatever reason, kind of fell out of favor because maybe Thanksgiving cactuses are much easier to grow. Could be. I don't know. Could be. Who knows? And then there's the Easter cactus too, but I digress. Yeah. It's not even the same genus. So move on. It's not. I'm going to do a quote. Again and again, you are reminded of the architectural necessity for the garden, the cloister, the hidden courtyard. And that's by Anthony Doerr. Anthony Doerr, who wrote Four Seasons in Rome about... A really good book. But he and his wife and twin infant sons went to Rome for... He had a year Mm -hmm. of a... I don't want to call it an internship. What do they call those things? It was like an associate deal. I mean, you just a fellowship. A fellowship, that's what it is. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was really good. We all we all want a garden, a, a cloistered place. And you talked about that in relationship to how crowded the city of Rome was. Oh my gosh, so crowded. People can park People cars everywhere. People can park cars in Rome like nothing I've ever seen. And they're all these little tiny cars like my Cinco Cinto. And they park them with, I mean, an inch to spare on each side. And I don't know how they do it. It is busy there. But, you know, Rome is amazing. And if anybody can go, they should go because it's beautiful. But from that, he said that when you can step through a door or gate and be in a quiet garden away from the matting crowds, it's true. Yes. And they have a lot of those type of gardens there. And what that reminds me of is Assisi. And we went to Assisi first. And Assisi is just full of those gardens. And it's amazing. But that that was 2000. I think we went in 2016. That was a long time ago. Okay, our flower topic. You came up with this flower topic. And it's excellent. Because I never even thought about it before. So there are things out there called thermogenic flowers. Yes. And these are flowers that raise the heat around them just enough so that they can attract the right kind of pollinators in extremely cold weather. And we looked up some stuff on Science Direct, although I shouldn't say you did. And they have a sentence in there, and I think they're not quite right. I I think it's what you think it is, the three to five. So the flowers of some plants, they say, produce enough heat to raise their temperatures as much as, it says, 35 degrees Celsius no. above air temperature. Well, I looked up I looked up 35 degrees. It's hot. And that is that's 95 Fahrenheit. Right. So I think they are missing the dash between the 3 and the 5. Yeah, I think they are too. But the idea is that even in snow or when it's really cold outside they can slightly raise the temperature. And that's really cool. And then they said a lot of this is to attract beetle pollinators, the first pollinators. We could talk about that for a minute. Okay. So for example, this isn't, they aren't thermogenic, but your magnolia that you mentioned, magnolia stellata, those deciduous magnolias like my Jane magnolia, those are pollinated by beetles. 
Yes. They're not pollinated by flying insects. And so they, that's why their flower structure is set up the way it is. And that's why these plants, these three species regulate flower temperature. Yeah. And botanically magnolia flowers are some of the oldest flowers, if that makes sense. Right. That's why they are pollinated by beetles because beetles and the crawling insects were here way before flying insects were. Then came moths and then butterflies are a subset of moths. So here's the other thing it says, and I'll quote, many thermogenetic, I'm not thermogenetic, thermogenic Thermogenic. plants evolved this self-heating power in order to attract pollinating insects with the heat intensifying odorous chemicals, Mm -hmm. enabling them to draw pollinators from a greater range. Because it's warm. And and furthermore, the thermogenic plants offered so-called heat rewards to the invertebrates, the insects, warm sanctuaries to feed and seek mates that enable them to save energy that would otherwise be expended on heat production in cooler conditions. And so thermogenic thermogenic plants in the garden, not so much. One of the most common ones is something called Eastern skunk cabbage. Yeah, I'm not growing that. No, and in fact, I kind of remember a Monty Don talking about in Gardener's World that somehow they brought eastern skunk cabbage, which is native to North America, to Great Britain. Yeah, how'd that go? And it's become a bit invasive. <laughs> oh, has it become them. a pest? Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> As things do they sometimes. Say, Sorry. <laughs> they say this eastern skunk cabbage can produce enough to heat to melt the overlying snow just a little bit so that gives them an advantage in attracting pollinators yeah okay cool and then what brought up this whole topic is you were thinking about snowdrops snowdrops i thought okay these are thermogenic or i had read they were right but then i did further research and they don't think that they're thermogenic in that they don't produce heat like the eastern skunk cabbage Mm -hmm. but they said the leaves warm up faster in the sun, which can cause the snow to melt around them, which is kind of a thermogenic effect, but not really from the plant. It's just the way they're blooming early in the sun melts the snow around them. Right. And so they put up their leaves first and then they put up their flowers. So that makes sense. At least that's so I've seen them in meadows. So, and they're all over Great Britain because they're absolutely obsessed with Galanthus snowdrops. They are. Okay. For everyone listening in Oklahoma, they don't grow well here. You can grow Leucogem. Please don't want to, I mean, don't waste your money like I did. Okay. So people here in Indiana, we can grow some snowdrops and they should return reliably every single year. Yes. And you can grow them because you're a cooler climate and it's best to buy snowdrops in the green. So if you can get some from somebody else, or from somebody who ships them green, it's better. Yes. And so I have purchased them in the green. Actually, when I spoke about four years ago, five years ago in Detroit, Michigan area, they were digging snowdrops out of the gardens at the Ford estate because they had gone rogue, invasive, and potted them up and were selling them for like 10 bucks a pot. And I thought, you know, it supported the garden. Yeah. So I... I bought some and I brought them back and they have done marvelously. 
I'm jealous of your snowdrops, but alas. And one more thing. I have bought the bulbs. And the thing about the bulbs is as soon as you get them, plant them. put them in the ground. Yeah, Plant them. Plant them. Plant them. Just them. like you do with lilies. Lilies are the same way. They're not a bulb. They're, they're actually, I don't know what they are. Lilies, the lily thing. Anyway. Anyway. Same so thing. plants are amazing. Plants are amazing. Plants are amazing. We should take up gardening as a hobby because plants are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's a hobby. I have to laugh because on Instagram, every single influencer says, I am obsessed with this. Have you noticed that? It's always, I am obsessed. And I think, no, you're not either. They, you like that moderately. No. I know someone who's obsessed with gardening. I know two people in particular. Maybe obsessed is the 2023 year word of the year. Who knows? It's just one of those things they say. Okay, you ready for the next quote? Yes, ma'am. Without a habit, the beauty of the world would overwhelm us. We'd pass out every time we saw, actually saw a flower. Imagine if we only got to see a cumulonimbus cloud or a Cassiopeia, or a snowfall once in a century. There'd be pandemonium in the streets. People would be would lie by the thousands in the fields on their backs. That's again by Andrew, and he wrote Four Seasons in Rome. That was a really hard quote, Carol. Thank you so much for giving that one to me. I didn't read it ahead. You're quite welcome. The really point is, without habit, the world, the beauty of the world would overwhelm us. I mean, that is true. Like, you think about the first time you see a really special flower that you've never seen before. Yeah. First time I smelled snowdrops. I mean, not snowdrops, sweet peas. I was there. You were there. and You took a picture of me. And it's one of my favorite photos. I look like a goofball, but I don't care because it was the first time I'd ever smelled it. It was exciting. It still is exciting. But I felt that way all fall because our color was so good this year. And that before we go into our vegetable topic, can I digress for just a sec? What? No, no. Oh, we need to stay on topic. But let's say that your digression is a topic. Go for it. And wear them in Garden Rant this week. I, I loved, loved, loved her post about pleasure, which was about this very thing that Andrew's talking about, which is, you know, just going outside, being in your garden space or walking through a park, we're allowed to have pleasure. And her point was that there's been a lot of puritanical stuff about gardening in the last few years. And I think she was a little upset about the Leave the Leaves campaign. <laughs> Well, I don't know if I would call it puritanical. She said puritanical. I'm not it... saying I'm puritanical. I'm saying she okay. said that. That was her word. Yeah. People kind of get stuck on something. And it's like, how dare you enjoy your garden? How dare you not leave it for nature? I'm like, I'm sorry. If you left the garden for nature, it would no longer be a garden. Just a big field back there. It would be. Or it'd be just a bunch of here. It'd be a bunch of eastern red cedars, some thistle and autumn clematis. That would look good. Anyway, I thought her post was really good. We'll link to it in the newsletter. It was fun to read because I agree with her. I, a part of the reason I garden is for pleasure. Exactly. So vegetables. We're going to talk about a vegetable book this week because it is really good. It is called Vegetable Gardening Made Easy. Simple trip, tips and tricks to grow your best garden ever. I wish I'd written this. Resh Gala is who wrote it. And she is an influencer on Instagram. She, I looked her up today because I knew that's, I had, 
I had not heard of her in the traditional gardening world. And so I thought, I bet you she's an Instagram influencer. And by golly, she is. She has 185,000 followers on Instagram. But don't let that fool you. It's a good book because sometimes it is a very good book. Sometimes influencers write books and they don't have quite enough experience either in their topic or in writing books. And whoever helped her with this one, whoever was her editor, did a good job. Not that I'm saying she can't write because I I don't know her, but I, I think the book is extremely well written. I read through it and I was like, this is very good information. This is not. Yes. I mean, it is basic, but. It's updated basic. Yes. And so, so Resh started out not as a vegetable gardener, no. but she bought two, she bought two tomato plants from a big box store. I think the variety she said was Jersey or something. And they failed. She lives in New Jersey. They failed on her. And then, so the next she year, installed a garden, had a garden installed, but the guy who installed it put in crummy dirt and she didn't know enough and to say, Exactly. crummy dirt. And so guess what happened again? It didn't go very well. The dirt was terrible. And bugs and insects came from everywhere. And so that's when she decided she was going to master this thing. And she did. And so now Mm -hmm. not only has she mastered it, she also started a company called 100 Tomatoes LLC. And they create turnkey raised garden vegetable gardens in New Jersey because she doesn't want people to have to go through the pain that she went through, but I'm going to have news for ever her and everyone else. We've all been through that pain. If we didn't, yeah. if we didn't start gardening at our mother's knee or grandmother's knee or grandfather's or father's, we make mistakes and we still make mistakes. I mean, when I first started gardening, I didn't know what I was doing either way, way back. And it's trial and error. And even now, well, now I just play around and do things I shouldn't do, but you know, don't do what I do, do what I say. Yeah. And I'm going to say, when I started gardening, I followed my dad around. And when I actually put my first vegetable garden in, I was a degreed horticulturalist, but that doesn't mean I didn't make my fair share of mistakes. No. And many of them. I mean, we all make mistakes. And so I thought her, I I don't know. I mean, this is really well written in terms of just very factual. So if you're a young person or an older person who decides that they want a vegetable garden, and this is your very first one, I think this would be a great book to have. And and you know what? Answers all the questions. You know what I what? what I love about it? It's a fairly compact size. You can take it with you. Put it in your purse, put it in your backpack, take it with you. It's it is extremely well written, lots of good information. It comes out December the 19th, so you can pre-order it if you listen to this and you think I want that. You can pre-order it. Come it should come by Christmas. I think it would be a great Christmas present for someone you want to influence. And I think it would be a great Christmas present with like some tools. And I hope she gives a copy of her book with every one of her turnkey gardens that she creates because. Yeah, she should. There's really good information in here. I would love to know who her editor was. I have a feeling it's Jessica. Well, if you go back to the acknowledgement I was looking, at the end. Yeah, is it Jessica? At the very end, she's, she doesn't put her last names, but she thanks some people from from Quarto. Jessica, David, Steve, Liz, and the Quarto team. Well, I know it's Jessica Walliser because the information <laughs> on bugs is so good and it's so short yes. and matter of fact, and they figured out that people don't want to read stuff endlessly unless, unless they're you and me. So good job, Rush. I love this book. It's very well done. 
Yes, yes. And so in our libraries, D, this this is going on the keep shelf. Yeah, it is because you know what? I'm I thought our information on pests and diseases was excellent. That's when I had a feeling Jessica was somewhat involved. <laughs> and I think I'm gonna, you know, for Garden Club, I'm the person that shares books at Garden Club. And even though they're older, some of them need to learn to grow vegetables. And like, you guys, you could start with this book because they've grown flowers forever. I know, right? You could start with this book, no matter your age. This isn't just for young people. So, Carol, the next section, you don't have a quote. <gasps> I will come up with a quote. If you'll just give me like two seconds two and a seconds half. seconds and come up with a quote because I know you have one on our Trello board. But guys, we always, just as an aside while she looks that up. At the end of the podcast, once we record it and we know it's safely in the cloud, then we plan next week. And one of the things we do is we keep track of all these quotes and then we plug them in. But this time we messed up and didn't get it plugged in. You got it now? Here's a quote. I do have a quote. Nor would I willingly miss the early darkness and the pleasant firelight tea and the long evenings among my books. Elizabeth Van Arnhem. In the book, The Solitary Summer. Oh, which she read this summer, right? That's correct. Okay, so on our bookshelf this week, it's a book I picked out, and it's called Summer Kitchens, Recipes and Reminiscences from Every Corner of Ukraine by Olia. And I, I'm i sure I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but I'm going to say Hercule. Her name is it's spelled Hercules, but surely that's not how it's pronounced. She is Ukrainian. And she comes from the southern part of Ukraine. And I think I bought this book last summer because of Sharon Lovejoy. And I sat down and read it the other day. And it is a it is cookbook. But it's much more about Ukraine's history and the Ukrainian people, which the Ukrainian people are a polyglot of all these different nations because they've always been used as a colonist country. And so they have people from all over. And it's just a fascinating, I thought that the history was fascinating. I thought the part, of course, I thought this, the agricultural history was brilliant. Interestingly, I wasn't in Ukraine this last summer, but I was in Hungary. And I was, uh-huh. and I was also in the Czech Republic. So I was in other countries nearby. And in Hungary, one of the things I learned is the Hungarian language is one of the hardest ones to learn because it is a mixture of Slavic languages, and it is also a mixture of languages from, like, say, the Nordic countries. So two different languages, all this stuff mixed together. Well, Ukrainian is the same way. Their language is a mix of all these different cultures, too. But it is a distinct language and a distinct culture. Although it's a big, huge country, it's bigger than France. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was so interesting. And Okay, so then after I was in those two places, then last week, Bill and I watched a movie about, we didn't know what we were getting into. We watched three sad movies in a row. But this movie was about when Stalin stole all the grain from the Ukrainian people when he first came into power, and the Nazis did too. So it was really about the Nazis first, and then it was about Stalin. And both groups tried to steal all the grain and Stalin just about did. And there's actually a name for that hunger because millions of people died. So they are considered the breadbasket of the world. And the reason is they can grow almost anything because they have really great soil because they have a really lots of, I want to say hummus, but it's humus. 
lots of humus in their soil, and it's quite warm. And people think it's more like Russia, but it's not. And so the other part about this book that was interesting is that the word summer kitchens, summer kitchens, I thought it meant outdoor kitchens, but that's not what it means. They're very historic. What does it mean? historical, and they're these little non-attached buildings that they do cook in in summer because it's so hot. They're hot. And then also way, way back when people, well, not that far back, back in the 50s, when a young couple would get married, they would build their summer kitchen first and live in it. It was literally just a one-room building. And then they would build their house. It would take their house a while to be built. So, so the summer kitchen is their very first little house and they still have them all over. And that way you don't heat up the whole house when you're cooking. And so I think of those from the Southern States, a lot of the, the big farms and plantations had a separate building for cooking in the summertime. They did for two reasons. They didn't want to burn their houses down because they cooked with open fire. Probably the same thing. And it was hot. And it was hot. So yes. I didn't know that much of Ukraine is warm in the summer. I will tell you, yeah, so is Hungary. It was quite warm. And then also, since she's in southern Ukraine, she's familiar with gardens of all sorts. She now lives in London, and she was really offended that everybody thought Ukrainian food was cabbage, overcooked cabbage and potatoes. And she said, actually, where she lives, they grow tomatoes, zucchini, eggplant, peppers, and herbs. And I said, it sounds like Oklahoma. It does. And in fact, there's a recipe in the book for a tomato and mulberry salad that I'm going to make next year because I have native mulberry trees. So I'm going to make cool. that. So anyway, it was a very interesting book. I'm not completely finished with it, but I have really loved reading it. And she's a very good writer. So that was fun. So anyway, that book is Summer Kitchens, Recipes and Reminiscences from Every Corner of Ukraine by, I'm going to say, Olio Hercule. Yeah. Okay, you guys ready for the next quote? I am ready. The botanist Carl Linnaeus, I read once, could tell the time of day by observing when certain flowers opened and closed in his garden. I gaze out my studio window past the trunk of the umbrella pine. How does one get to be that involved in the world? Andrew Dare, or Dore, Four Seasons in Rome. Well, you just do. And so our dirt, actually found in the Mary Jane's Farm magazine last yeah, month. Yeah, you found the dirt, and then I found the quote yeah. when I was reading. Isn't that weird? And it all came together. It's like me running into all that stuff about Ukraine that had nothing to do. Yeah, it was crazy. Okay. So the Linnaeus flower clock was conceived by Carl Linnaeus as a way to have a garden plan that was based on the time of day that the flowers opened and closed, and I suppose you would put it in sort of a clock face. And I don't think it ever got planted. And I don't know how you would ever plant one. But supposedly he could walk outside and depending on what was what flowers were open, he could tell you approximately what time, which is probably some trickery there because you could also see where the sun was in the sky. But anyway. <laughs> well, one I can think of is four o'clocks, you know, but they don't open at four o'clock. They open here at about five, five thirty. So you would have to call them five o'clock. Yeah, it wouldn't work. And they have people have tried to redo this clock and it doesn't work very well because his flowers don't translate to anywhere else. Well, and also I don't think that he actually ever planted it. It was just this idea that you could plant it. Yeah. Well, there you go. I don't know why. Yeah. But it's interesting. And so yeah, they have we'll link to an article over on Wikipedia, but it's like 
Well, there's a lot of flowers at 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 8 a.m. And, you know, it kind of goes from there, I suppose. That's as far as this chart goes. It is. But anyway, I don't know if you'd ever get it done. But it is, you know, like it is one of those fascinating things that depending on the time of day, a different flower has decided to open. Yeah, that's true. So anyway, that's our dirt. That was kind of interesting. We thought it was interesting, but now that we've talked about it, we're, I mean, we don't sound that interested, but it was, I didn't know, it I is didn't know that he had a flower clock until I read that. So. Well, he had the idea of a flower okay. clock. Okay. Yes. The idea. Okay. I'll do a quote. He had a virtual flower clock. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they had the term virtual back then that. because everything was real, <laughs> D. Not his flower clock. It wasn't real. Here we go. Nature herself is untidy, and in a garden she ought to come first, and art with her brooms and clipping shears follow humbly behind. Elizabeth von Arnim, The Solitary Summer. Amen, sister. Rabbit holes. You tell about yours. I don't want to talk about mine. All right. So I've discovered another lost lady of garden writing. This one's related to herbs, and I suspect. You know, this the the book was published in 1966, I think. Uh-huh. And I think her daughter is still alive. And I think there are grandchildren out there. So a lot of the ones that I write about from the early 1900s, I mean, it would be hard to find a relative still alive. So I want to be really careful and thoughtful and putting out a blog post about that. So I've been working on that. And then I, I found another one of those books about with where violets figure into the story. Uh-huh. So I finished reading A Memory of Violets, a novel of London's flower sellers by Hazel Gaynor. I should say I finished reading and listening because I alternated between listening to it and reading it. It was it was actually quite interesting. And both of my books that where Violet is in the story, not someone named Violet. Right. They both take place in London amongst very impoverished people. Yeah, Violets were cheap. And violet water and cheap. violet water was cheap, and and so a lot of people wore it, and especially people. Well, who they were poor. the little the the flower girls would sell violets, and when violets weren't available, they would sell cress, mm. watercress, watercress. It just sounds like a horrific life, yeah. and I'm sure it was a horrific life. You can think about my fair lady. They discovered or the her, so. girl, which is a Christmas story that's very depressing. And then this doesn't relate to gardening at all, but on Monday night, someone recommended a book called No Two Persons by Erica Baumeister, which I then finished by Wednesday morning, a library copy. And the premise of the book is that no two persons ever read the same book or saw the same picture. And that's from something written in 1816 from the writings of Madame Swetchine. Anyway, so it's a, it's a, like 10 short stories, I guess, about a book and how the book impacted different people. And sometimes characters would cross over between stories, but just got into me thinking about how no two gardeners see the same garden. Oh, that is so true. When we went to Chanticleer. Yes. um, It's a pretty big garden and people were walking around and I was watching everybody and I was amazed at what different people saw in the garden, what appealed to them. Like, some loved the handmade chairs and the handmade railings. 
other people loved the ruins and there were some things growing through the ruins. In fact, there was a rose growing that everybody was trying to figure out what the rose was. And actually it's a really, I can't remember which rose it was, but it was, it was one that is quite robust, but because it was growing in so much shade, it wasn't as robust there. Right. And also in Pennsylvania. So there was lots of discussion, you know, some people love the Colchicums and the Colchicum lawn. Nobody sees the same garden. And I, I listened to lots of conversations because I've gotten to visit so many gardens that I kind of wanted to take all that in. Yeah. And so when you go to visit a garden, you'll notice that it, just like if you go to an amusement park, everybody goes to the right when they get off the bus. Mm-hmm. I go to the left. And so if they don't make you go a direct trail, yes, go to the left. I learned that and then, when we went to Disney World. And don't get out your camera right away. No. People are like, suddenly they're snapping pictures like you're you're not seeing the garden. You're taking pictures in a garden. And that's a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. So don't put your camera up to your face right away. And then see what the garden shows you. That's a good one. I like your rabbit hole. And I like, I like to go look for the working end of the garden. So where's the compost pile? Me too. Where are the tools? Always. So and the anyway, gardeners. that's my rabbit hole. My favorite time to be in a public garden is on a day when the gardeners are there working. Yes. Because you get to see what they were really doing. And it's the gardeners and the unsung horticulturists who work so very hard in those gardens. Yes, which which reminds me, we went to a gardening. You didn't go to Quebec City. No, I had children graduating from things. I had to stay here. We we went to a garden. And, you know, the sad thing is I cannot remember the name of the garden. I'd have to go back and look at my notes from 2013, 10 years ago. The garden was immaculate, and we were told that the garden staff was there until four o'clock in the morning, just making sure everything was perfect. So when the garden writers came, mm-hmm. we saw perfection, and it was, I never have seen a garden so immaculate, but it, it didn't freak you out immaculate, but it was just, it was just lovely. And it would have been, you know, we we talked to the gardeners because then they were there when we were there, sure. and they said, yeah, we were here till four o'clock in the morning getting this place ready. Oh, that's something else. Okay, your rabbit hole. No, I'm still looking at alpha-gal syndrome. And it is amazing how much... I thought wheat was bad. <laughs> no. <laughs> the meat products are worse. And it's because it's in everything. And I am just fortunate that so far, I am not super allergic to it. I also found out that I'm allergic to bananas, which isn't good because then that has to do with latex, but, and these are true allergies. They, so you have to worry about, you know, if your tongue swells or something like that. And I'm, I've, I joined a couple of groups on Facebook and there are people who are way more allergic than I am. Like some people cannot touch meat without it making their hands break out in a rash. That's I'm not that's that horrible. bad. I'm not touching any meat right now, but still I'm not that bad. But I was shocked last night because I got out my fish oil and my fish oil's gelatin capsule is made with bovine. It's made from bone. So gelatin is made from bone. Of course it is. And I just hadn't made, I hadn't thought about those things. I'm still taking it right now, but I'm on the lookout for a vegan capsule that has fish oil in it. So it's just stuff like that that I'm just trying to figure out. But, but so vegans don't eat fish. Right. But sometimes. There are companies that realize that this is a problem. And I actually looked at a map yesterday because they were like, put yourself on the map so people will know. I went to look at the map. And now it's an alpha gal map that's been created. 
And oh my goodness, it is everywhere. So especially in the United States, but it's it's in other parts of the world too. So this tick is, you know, ticks spread and they're an issue. So I'm going to do a PSA Instagram reel in the future once I kind of get things figured out. But I'm eating sorted out fish and chicken. And I asked Lily, asked my best friend, Amy, I said, where can I find some duck? Because I actually like duck. And she goes, you can go to Cal Wynn. And I was like, oh, yeah, the the Asian grocery store. They'll have duck. And so I would tell you, Dee, that I live in the midst of, if if there's one Asian grocery store around me, there are probably 100. Wow. Because of the immigrant population that has settled on the south side of Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. I've never seen so many Asian grocery stores. Just little mom and pops that show up. Anytime there's like an opening in a little strip mall, huh. there's an Asian grocery store. And I... I've never been in one to know what they sell, but they might have duck. Well, Calwin is amazing. It's a big, huge grocery store that caters because we have a huge Vietnamese population in Oklahoma City. We also have a lot of people that are from Thailand and some other places too, including China, of course. But Calwin is huge and it's down in what they call Little Vietnam, which is down in the city. But then she also suggested somewhere else that is closer up here because some of them she said maybe some of the butcher shops have it and then i thought yeah but then there's cross-contamination and apparently that is a big issue yeah. so the cross-contamination issue yeah i don't oh, even want to think about it vague. oh well anyway enough about alpha gal i don't i don't want to talk about it anymore let's do garden commissions instead okay so i'll do mine it's very chilly and it's very rainy right now I make no promises but i did find out the house plant that i got my then nine-year-old niece has died her mother said something about her not opening the blinds for several days i says not a problem i have all kinds of houseplants here and so i'm going to take some cuttings from pothos it's not quite the time of year see if i can get those rooted up and i said then you bring that pot back to me and we will have a brand new plant in there yeah soon enough you know you also might give her a zz plant because they don't need much light at all oh that's a good idea zz's are really i mean if you can't those and mothers and lost tongue those two are very easy to grow. Yeah. As is pothos. And so anyway. Pothos. Sorry. I'm, I'm still growing microgreens and I still need to cover the base of the figs. But other than that. Yeah. How about you? Okay. This is everyone's notice in Oklahoma that it's now time to plant your outdoor flower bulbs. Just about the time it gets miserable in Oklahoma is a good time. So I'll be planting mine out this week. And most of them are either going in the front flower bed. There's a few that are going over underneath a tree that's next to my vegetable garden. And then I have some that are going out in this kitchen garden over here. I don't have as many this year as I have in past years because, well, I have a lot of bulbs already, a lot of daffodils. And I will be planting some tulips. And you guys can go to my blog and search tulips. It's I've planted them a lot, and I've done them a lot of different ways over the years. I will not be putting mine in baskets. I mean, I know I have friends who do because they have vole problems. And what I tend to do is just move them to a different bed. If I see voles, I just go, I'm going to put the tulips over here now. So there you go. Oh, when somebody asked me about my bulb, how do I plant my tulips and my other bulbs? I just throw them down there and then I just dig holes with a trowel if there aren't very many. Or I take my bulb auger. And go zing, zing, zing. It just depends on how many I'm planting and how long. And I like my short bulb auger better than my long bulb auger. And I'll get you guys a link to Amazon in the news. Okay. 
That's it. And I would just say if you're in Indiana or points north and you still have flower bulbs that you have not planted, you get yourself out there right now and you get those planted. Right. They need some time to be cold and they also need some time to have root development or you won't get very good flowers. Exactly. Exactly. So that is it for this week. We want to thank you for listening to The Gardenangelist. I hope you've hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. We publish every week on Wednesdays at 12 a.m. Eastern Time. But if you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review. That helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. So this is where the butt should go, actually. If you subscribe to our Substack newsletter, the Garden Angelus at Substack.com, you'll learn about more things and all these links because we can't put so many on our Buzzsprout page. But also, you'll get a link to listen to the podcast a day early. And if you want to help support us, use those affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we are in a small commission and it costs you nothing. Or you can set up a monthly subscription through Buzzsprout or make a one-time donation through PayPal. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the Garden Gate. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.